Welcome to the Take the Cake podcast. I am your host, Kate Noel, and I am so happy you're here. My mission is to inspire you to be the best version of yourself by truly honoring what your mind, body, and soul want and need. Here, we talk about everything and anything, wellness, recovery, lifestyle stuff, lots more. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, Take the Cake listeners. How are we doing today? I am very excited about today's interview. I have Jessica McGuire here on the show. Jessica is passionate about helping all people recover from chronic and traumatic stress by providing knowledge and tools to reshape the mind-body system. I love her work so much. She teaches patients about the vagus nerve, which is, I feel like, kind of a trendy nerve, you know, kind of a trendy topic, and about their nervous system and It includes educating people on how things like anxiety, depression, gut disorders, autoimmune issues, so much more can arise from nervous system dysregulation. So it goes really deep. She talks about a bottom-up approach to understanding how the nervous system works, and it's really holistic and very fascinating, and she does a great job of explaining it, and her team has tons of workshops, masterclasses, programs, lots of steps to help get people um, to the root cause rather than just treating their symptoms, right? Which I, of course, appreciate that aligns so much with me. Um, So she just provides amazing and practical tips and information to help you stay grounded. I feel so strongly that you'll enjoy this episode. I appreciate Jessica so much for taking the time to chat with me. She's so educated and has just, she's so expansive with her knowledge on the nervous system. Um, and I just really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that you do too as well. Enjoy. Okay. We have Jessica here. I'm super excited about this episode. I'm very intrigued by your line of work and I've tried, you know, Googling your, the vagus nerve. And I've tried really like doing the Google, Google route of implementing these practices in my life, but I'm excited to really talk to an expert and get more information that's not just the big internet. So thank you for being here. Oh, thanks, Kate. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So let's start off with how you ended up doing what you're doing today, what inspired you, and just a little bit about maybe your story. Sure. So about 14 years ago, I started working with patients as a physiotherapist in clinic. And I often worked with people who had a lot of chronic pain, chronic digestive issues. They were feeling that their emotional regulation was a bit up and down. And I got really interested in modern pain science because what it was showing was that for a small percentage of patients that I was seeing, they weren't getting better with typical treatments. Um, typical manual therapy. And what the modern pain science was showing was that a lot of these patients had a sensitized nervous system. And so their perception of the pain or the the actual pain intensity itself was being um, amplified through changes in their brain that had to do with thoughts and beliefs um, or what they thought was going to happen, stress about work and money. Um, And it was there were there are changes that also come up through the spinal cord and the nerve receptors. So although 
in more in medicine, there's a lot of talk about separating the body and that we're like a machine where we can just fix one area. It's not really the true reflection of what we're seeing now. And that's where I wanted to take my work to understand that the mind-body connection and that it's not some, you know, alternative type thing. It's really what lies at the at the epicenter of our health. So for from I was looking at this as a physiotherapist from a pain perspective, but then as I looked at it with understanding the gut and my previous studies had been looking at heart rate variability, so doing ECGs, seeing how people's um, heart rate varied, and that was linked with the vagus nerve. So from, from the start, I've been very interested in that connection and particularly looking at the body influencing upwards to the brain because we put a lot of emphasis on the brain being like this command command centre at the top that controls down with everything, but that's not really the case, um, especially when it comes to stress, um, when it comes to traumatic stress. We actually see that most of the nervous system communicates from the body up and we can't necessarily separate the brain from the body at all. So leading on to the vagus nerve was um, came up where I started to put together workshops for my patients um, a few years ago and they've just grown and grown and grown because there were so many people who fit in that category of having those chronic conditions that weren't improving and it was, you know, things like digestive problems, the chronic pain, inflammation, and the old medical model where it just looked at, okay, let's let's just take this and fix it. It just wasn't working for them. And for, from the perspective that I like to look at, it's using what's called a biopsychosocial model, and that's looking at health, we need to look at biological factors. So things like our gut, genetics, um, it can also be inflammation, but there's psychological factors like our thoughts and, and our beliefs around what's going on, but also the social factors. So things from the outside in that affect us. So we know that our relationships, our place in our community, if we're in a marginalised group, all of those things contribute towards our health and taking that model to look at for well-being is, is, is a wonderful way to um, look at how people can improve their health that's not just looking at the body like a machine. Mm-hmm. I love that, taking away that label of being alternative and really just understanding the body deeper. I know that there's so much activity in our guts that are like neuro signals um, or or whatnot and immunity, but can you explain more about what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. So we can look at bottom-up ways that affect our brain and nervous system as being things like the microbiome. So for instance, we know that the microbiome will affect the levels of neurotransmitters that we have like serotonin which helps us to feel good. It's involved with um, helping to improve us. Well, for some people, they take um, medication to help improve depression from it, but we also have that, you know, in our gut that we make ourselves. 
And so that has a bottom-up effect because of the health of our microbiome will cause a fluctuation to the neurotransmitters like serotonin, but also another one called GABA, which is an anti-anxiety neurotransmitter. And so the way that they then communicate upwards to the brain, so we can say bottom up, we can look at this with our heart rate variability as well. So when we um, look at the connection of the vagus nerve, it runs from the brain stem and it comes down and touches nearly every organ all the way to our colon. But a specific branch of it runs from the brain stem to the sinoatrial node of the heart, which is basically the heart's pacemaker. And you can imagine if you were cycling downhill, you would keep that little bit of the handbrake engaged on the bike so you didn't go too fast. Well, that's what our vagus nerve does to our heart. Mm. And that keeps us regulated, if that makes sense. Now, when we face a stressor, that just comes off a little bit. So it might mean when I'm talking to you today, Kate, and I'm so passionate about this, I let a little bit of that vagal break come off and that gives me mobilising energy to focus, to do my best when I'm talking to you. And, and, And lots of the time we can feel that, you know, when we feel inspired and motivated. If that vagal break came right off, then I would have my heart rate go up and I might move up into fight or flight. So what we can look at at rest is the variation in people's heartbeats and that tells us how the vagus nerve is working. So when I breathe in, the vagal, the vagal, vagal break will come off just a little bit and my heart will speed up. And when I breathe out, it will engage and my heart rate will slow down. So there's a little bit of this up and down. And that variation sends signals upwards to the brain as well. So there's bottom-up ways that we can look at um, changing our physiology, particularly if we're so used to going into patterns of anxiety or for some people it's shut down whenever we face a challenge because our nervous system learns from what we experience in the past and it's stored in lower centres in the brain Uh, where we have memories, but also just for automatic patterns like posture, movement, but nervous system responses are one as well. So we can also have top-down regulation where we might focus our attention in certain ways, and that's wonderful too. But what we know is that 80% of the vagus nerve fibres are running from the body up to the brain and only 20% are running from the brain down to the body. So often in really stressful times, it helps to start off in the body and use bottom up tools rather than trying to think our way out of stress because only 20% of our nervous system communicates that way. And also it's in the lower centers of our brain where we change states of our nervous system. So although we might say, it's not that bad, I just need to get on with it or you know, such and such has got it so much worse than me. Those stories don't really always bring true regulation to our nervous system. They may actually amplify stress. So we can learn to work with our nervous system, move from being feeling like we're sitting in the back seat to being the driver and 
that can happen when we learn those ways to bring in regulation. Wow. That was such a great explanation. I have (laughs) never understood the nervous system like this. Um, and specifically the vagus nerve. Do you say vagal nerve or vagus nerve? So not only vagus nerve, but you can say vagal break or mm, vagal, vagal break. Or vagal it. efficiency. So they're okay. kind of interchangeably. Wow. So this is maybe a little ahead of the head of the game here, but what about like this has happened to me? What about when I notice I'm having a panic attack and I I'm noticing my heart beating fast and that's making me feel more panicky. <laughs> mm, totally. And it does, right? It's yeah. interesting because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of advice to pay attention to the breath and it will help your nervous system. But for someone who's in a state of panic, paying attention to the breath or like what you described, feeling like the heart is racing, that can actually amplify stress because it's sending the signal up to our brain that something's wrong. So the way that we determine if things are safe, dangerous or life-threatening, that can be people or places, um, it happens by a process called neuroception. And this was termed by Dr. Stephen Porges, who did a lot of work with polyvagal theory. And basically this is how the lower centres of our brain detect if there's a threat or not. Now, it can come from what we see, what we hear, what we smell, and that can be influenced by our past experiences. Um, But it can also be informed by what we call interoception, which is the sensations or what we feel inside our body as well. So like you're saying, when you pay attention to your heart rate going really fast, Potentially, that's like saying, oh, there's a threat because I can feel my heart beating like this and it can make it worse. So in panic, sometimes it's better to focus attention in a way that's outside the body. So to be like, what can I see? Feeling the feet on the ground. What noises can I hear? And particularly looking for things that are pleasant or safe or neutral. So we can send signals of safety to the brain by looking at what is safe. But, you know, the most, one of the best tools to use is being around somebody who is um, a grounded person in that time. And just having them there can really help with that because, you know, they might smile and we take that in as a cue of safety. So the signals that we pay attention to and the way that we do that will influence our nervous system. Mm -hmm. Really cool. Thank you for sharing. Why do you think it's, is it just more new knowledge that's not really taught in like, like I don't, I've never, I never learned about really any part of the nervous system at all in my basic schooling. I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit, feels kind of new or something. Sure. Well, I suppose the old framework for looking at the nervous system was just looking at the two branches, which were like the sympathetic and the parasympathetic branches of the autonomic nervous system. But what's been shown is that that is oversimplified. So for the parasympathetic, it actually has two different responses, which we would say that's from the vagus nerve. So like we said, with the vagal break, we can slow our physiology down. But then there's another branch 
of the vagus nerve, which can take us also down into like a freeze or a shutdown or a sense of things are, are very, very wrong and bad. And that can happen if we don't have the resources. So say we first of all move into fight or flight or and we feel like, you know, the heart racing and the panic. But if we don't have the resources to deal with that, we may fall back onto our older system of defence and that's where we might go into like a shutdown. And we see animals do this where some people might say it's like they're playing dead, but it's actually a physiological response of safety where we see that animals and we now know also people will do this in traumatic events. They might go into um, a state where it's difficult to move, to speak, to run away. They dissociate from their body. And that is actually physically and psychologically protective in a way. So I guess what's happened is that we've moved away from that old model that was very simplistic with two branches of the sympathetic, parasympathetic. But also, as we've said, um, the medical model has has evolved to now looking at things with the influence of the brain on the body and the body on the brain. And I think, you know, medicine has been astounding. We can't take away from the fact that we have antibiotics, we have life-saving surgery. We're very good at dealing with the acute things. But what we probably have left off is not having, as I explained before, that biopsychosocial model that looks at all the things that affect a person. Um, it's a lot of people are often astounded to think that who they're around influences their nervous system. But we know that there's resonance circuits in our body and brain and that the people that we are around is actually one of the most potent influences on our nervous system. So it is... It is evolving with the science over the last 20, 30 years, um, but it, it is coming in now as, as the new way to look at health, which is great because it takes in all the things that we need as humans to thrive. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Really mm -hmm. cool. I'm thinking of how much bigger this is than me gargling water in the shower to <laughs> activate my vagus nerve, you know, every day or so. <laughs> that's really cool. Thank you for sharing. That's, that's um, great information. Um, okay. So my podcast is mostly about recovery from eating disorders, disordered eating. Can you speak on, I mean, this is a very general question because everyone's eating disorder is different, but can you speak on how maybe more generally eating disorders, um, what's happening to the body when you are choosing to engage in an eating disorder? Obviously there's restriction. There's, there's lots of different types of eating disorders, but yeah, maybe you could make some general statements there. Sure. Of course. I think it's interesting to look with it, look at how the nervous system is always acting in service of our survival. So whenever we have anxiety Often that can be, and it's, and you know, there might not necessarily be um, that there's a threat, but if in the past I've had a lot of stress and trauma, then what can happen is I get an oversensitive, like that neuroception I was talking about, that can be oversensitive. So we can look at that as a little bit like an alarm 
that goes off when, um, you know, maybe the house we live in got broken into. So I install this really fancy um, alarm system, but then it goes off when the when the breeze blows. So our nervous system can get quite good at seeing signals of danger and um, then it can put us into having anxiety all of the time. But it's helpful to know that the nervous system is still just trying to keep us safe. So looking at that from how that ties in with eating, we have strong, strong DNA that programs us to survive and that's through, you know, cues of what I was just saying with anxiety but also to help us um, with food as well. So I think understanding that restricting food can feel um, like a threat and it will impose on the nervous system just from restriction. But what we can see as well is that food can be used to soothe our nervous system as as well. Um, A lot of people will turn to that when there might not be the access to the vagus nerve to bring that sense of regulation and safety and if you think about this, the, the nervous system for a baby, it's not fully evolved. So a baby can't self-regulate. It's up to, it takes, you know, through the toddler years, it relies on co-regulation from the parent. And so that soothing that comes in in early years, it's, it'll, one of the strongest forms is through breastfeeding. So that sense of food and soothing is very innate to us, but that branch of the vagal break that I was talking about, that forms from that social bond with our caregivers. So how they soothe us, um, and as I said, feeding is one of those as well. So for some groups of people that may not have had enough of that regulation, Food could be a, we might say, a pseudo or an artificial regulator of the nervous system. Um, We can see it for people who are particularly anxious. You know, food can be a sense of replacing perhaps that feeling of being able to calm ourselves back down. So that's on one way we can look at it. And then for people who might move into more of a, as I mentioned before, that shutdown or flatness or they if they've had chronic um, periods where they go down into similar to like a freeze response, then they may rely heavily on foods as a stimulant or sugars or caffeine or or that kind of thing. So we can certainly artificially bring in a regulation if our nervous system isn't working at its best. And the beauty of it is that we can learn to find ways that bring that true regulation so we may not feel blissed out all the time and that's not really our goal so I mean a healthy nervous system isn't just calm you know anger is healthy sometimes being anxious is healthy Um, we want a nervous system that's flexible and adaptable um, and also has a sense of resilience so what that might mean is that we learn to sit with a a wide range of feelings and sensations without necessarily needing artificial regulators like food. But we can see people, you know, very common now with alcohol to be 
um, socially acceptable to have to wind down with wine. You know, we see that a lot. Um, and also, you know, people might binge watch television. So these can be ways that we look to uh, bring that regulation and rest, particularly after periods of chronic and traumatic stress. So with, with like a chronic stress, um, for example, I'll just use what's happening in Australia. Uh, before we had the pandemic, there were really serious bushfires. And then the pandem pandemic's gone on, you know, for a couple of years. And then now the flooding has hit. So for a lot of people, they've just had wave and wave after stress without that opportunity to recover and to bring their nervous system back to a regulated state. And so that's where we see we may fall into using things like food, um, using things like wine or television or whatever it is to come into a state that doesn't make us feel anxious, but it's not really regulation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And do you, would you consider like maybe compulsive exercise or over-exercising as a, another pseudo, what, what, how does that fall into that? Totally can be a pseudo regulator. Yes. Mm -hmm. So if people are really anxious, you know, like that really wound up state, um, and need to rely on exercise, you know, a lot of exercise to come back to a state where they feel that they can cope, then yes, that's a way because the nervous system mobilizes our energy to face the, the demand. And if we have that happening all the time, we kind of need to discharge that. But what would help is to get to the root of why this energy keeps being mobilized so much. And sometimes it's, you know, we fall into these patterns where we can, we can look at, okay, well, how do I cope with stresses? Do I overcope or undercope? So, for example, let's say at work we might find that we have a lot to do and so we tend to go faster and do more and become perfectionistic and, and hurry and drive. And that's, that's a way that our nervous system has shifted. But it could be in other ways that if we have a fight with our partner, we might feel flat and like we're helpless and things are hopeless. So we do nothing and withdraw and isolate. So it's useful to get to know our patterns of how we respond with overcoping and undercoping as well. Mm. But yes, exercise is definitely one of those. Wow. You know, I'm realizing I'm both of those people and sometimes in one day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I will. Say, yeah. I will say, um, truly recovering from my eating disorder is so much deeper than eating and body, you know, and I really feel like you're kind of saying that in a way. And I have just had this emotional intelligence and I guess I've had some nervous system intelligence as well. That's just really become more resilient. And I think that that's something I really want my audience to hear is that you mentioned not necessarily always being about what you say regulated or like, uh -huh. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, calm. Yeah, not always being calm. Yeah, definitely. not always being calm and not always being happy. Like, I just want to always be happy. I just want to always be calm, but instead being able to manage 
your world a little bit better and and like you said get to the the root issue or issues and that makes me feel really good because that feels more like sustainable life rather than just saying you know i just never want to feel bad or uncomfortable again um symptoms as messengers like so to speak um okay great can we move on to some practical tools that you can give my audience <laughs> Sure, sure. I think we've touched on some a little bit already. Um, you know, we can look at things that we can do, use in the heat of the moment and then we can look at ways we can do it with sort of long-term lifestyle type things. But I do think for, you know, there's a lot of talk around about not being codependent, not relying on other people, but we're not actually wired that way. So in stressful times, you know, when we're really having a difficulty, like I'm talking fight or flight or like what you were saying, panic, or for those people who tend to shut down and withdraw, co-regulation, which I've mentioned of just being around somebody else who is in a grounded state, you don't need to talk about the problem. You know, it's not necessary to have um, telling the story all the time. For some people that's useful, but this is talking in high levels of stress just seeing that person's face will help to bring our own nervous system back towards regulation. If it might be the smile around their face, uh, their eyes, the, their mouth as well, but particularly the, the lines around the outside of the eyes is a signal of safety. So that's, that's a really nice way. But our social engagement system is the branch of the vagus nerve that goes from the heart And it runs up to the muscles to do with communication and speech and the face and also our ears. So the tone of someone's voice who's in a regulated state will have variation in rhythm and pitch. And you might do this with with your dog or a pet or you hear mothers do this with their baby and it's sort of talking in this sort of sing-songy voice with them. And that is something we do instinctively to bring that, you know, co-regulation in. And if we can be around somebody when we're having a difficult time and they can stay grounded themselves and we start to move towards that, then that is a really powerful tool for resilience. And it doesn't mean that we're codependent. I mean, if we're doing this, if we need that person all the time, then yes, we could say that's probably taking it to the extreme but not to feel like we need that we're on our own and we need to figure out everything by ourselves. Um, We're meant to be uh, in these cycles of reciprocity with other people. So that makes us feel good. And even if we say spend a lot of time by ourselves, you know, for people who work at home, um, just getting out into the community where people are, whether that's going to get a coffee, going to sit in a park, if we, if we're so stressed or upset that we don't feel like talking. That would be one of the other big resources. We can do a lot, as I've mentioned, by looking at ways that we cultivate that sense of safety. Um, And I mentioned to you before, particularly around panic, we can look at how we pay attention to looking slowly around to see things that look pleasant, or neutral because we're sending to our nervous system a cue of safety. And because the nervous system will mobilise our energy to deal with challenges and we might be going faster, 
It's trying to slow that down. So although I'd love to say there's one perfect tool that regulates the nervous system, it depends on what state you're in, which can vary from feeling a little bit stressed right up to panic, or it can be a little bit wanting to withdraw right down to shut down. So there isn't actually one tool. It's learning to say, okay, I need a framework to understand my nervous system. And we might look at this as the window of tolerance, which was coined by Dr. Daniel Siegel, who's a neuroscientist. So inside this window is where we have fluctuations of what we feel in the day, but we're still flexible, adaptable. Our thoughts are coherent. Our energy is stable, although we may have, say, waves of nervousness. We may feel pangs of disappointment but we're not moving up into fight or flight where we can't think properly, where our heart's going so fast. But that's where we look at above that window is that fight or flight and below the window is the shutdown freeze response. So depending on where we are, whether we're inside the window, above it or below it, that's where we have different tools that we use. But, you know, for someone who's panicking, like we said, it's not always wise to do breath work. It's not always wise to feel the sensations inside the body. But if I was inside my window, that could be a great tool. So learning to get to know your nervous system or to build what we say autonomic awareness, which is recognising, okay, this is happening. This is my nervous system in this experience trying to keep me safe. So let's say, for example, you had been in a really bad car accident and you might be driving somewhere where it feels similar and you start to feel your heart race and your palms get sweaty and you think, what, why am I so anxious? There's nothing actually, you know, but your nervous system is detecting signals that there's danger. So learning what to use then. Um, Long-term, what we sort of said before where we touched on things like the gut microbiome, um, that's really, really helpful, um, looking at exercise, looking at sleep. But good relationships is what I see brings a lot of people to um, a state of living more regulated, um, good feeling of community. Um, and so for some people that might mean if they don't have it, they might think, well, maybe I could volunteer in my community and get to know people that way, to be around people and tie in meaningful work with that. So there's lots of ways that we can um, start to make our life sort of fit in with this. It's not like we need to be doing an hour of practices every morning or an hour every night or spend all our time trying to get our nervous system to function in a way that's healthy. We can, we can certainly look at ways that we can do this through our lifestyle. I mean, it might be as simple as, taking a 15-minute walk somewhere in nature every day and that's enough for us when we're facing stresses just to bring ourselves back down again. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a lot of different things there to, for people to have a try of. Yeah, that that's, makes a lot of sense. And um, it sounds to me like really just having awareness and like tuning in and really listening and also taking it, you know, one day at a time or just trying new things and seeing how you feel 
because um, this does not sound like something that uh, all of a sudden after listening to this podcast, you know, you're going to have this, I don't know, uh, but just, sorry, I keep asking you what you mentioned, but you're having these amazing terms. Um, the being in the window, like you're not just going to be able to be in your window and know exactly where the hedges of the windows are um, overnight. Yeah. So exactly, yeah. and you know it's it's okay if people do move outside, you know, into fight or flight, or they do go down into shutdown. It's just that we know that for some people, following chronic and traumatic stress, they spend most of their time outside the window, or their window gets small. So what we teach people to do is how to expand that window and spend more time in that um, inside of it. But you know. It, Stress is healthy for us. So all it is is our nervous system mobilising our energy to deal with challenges. We just need the tools to recover from that and we don't want to be in chronic stress if we can and we and traumatic stresses when they hit, having the tools to help us move back inside the window is what's really mm. important. Really beautiful. I love your work. What would you say to somebody who just says like, I really want that, but it just sometimes feels easier just to shut down or to engage in maybe irrational behaviors or things that aren't very good for them. Maybe like the instant gratification, so to speak, instead of the sustainable options. Mm. I guess what it comes down to from what I see is Is that, you know, how when we come back into the state of regulation, that's where we reach our potential or tap into the potential of who we are. And if we're looking at the nervous system is always learning and it's always adapting and it is bioplastic, which means we can change it, that we will initially want to go back to what's familiar. It takes work to change what's like any habit, but it is certainly possible to do it. And the research is looking around 60 days to 60 weeks, sorry, 60 days to six weeks is where we can start to see those changes come into place. So when we are in that state of true regulation, that's where we access creativity, innovative thinking, our relationships improve, um, we're going to connect with people easier, but we're also going to be living in the present moment. And I think that's where people will find they can actually thrive and flourish. Those states of survival mode take us out of the present moment. And often it's just responding to old stories from the past, you know, so it's, we can see this filter comes in from our nervous system where let's say potentially, let's say we have a, have a fight with our partner where he or she says something and it reminds us of a parent who might have not shown up for us, our nervous system can go down into that state of doom with this relationship and say, I'm never going to be loved. I'm never going to get the family I want. I'm never going to have that sense of connection. But it can be that old story playing out. So although it's it is shorter to, you know, use pseudo or artificial regulators or instant gratification we aren't really 
being true to ourselves or giving ourselves the opportunity to have the relationships, to do our best work that we really deserve. And I think that would be um, a great thing and it, to be able to step out of that past um, or the responding from the past to really responding to what's happening today in the present moment. And especially if there's no threats and our nervous system's telling us there is, that's exhausting to be always on the lookout for danger when really we're safe. Inspiring. I love it. It's really, truly like living in the present moment is absolutely, you, you hit the nail on the head there with that because that's something I wasn't, I wasn't living in the present moment. I don't even think my brain was able to, capture the memories of the years where I was really not regulating and I was not resilient and I didn't have, uh, I was engaging in those pseudo regulators. Um, thank you so much. I would love to know where, like what you're up to. I know you have some classes and workshops and so like that. So can you just share, um, anything that ways that my audience can connect to you? Sure, absolutely. So our six-week vagus nerve program is just about to kick off the next round on March 14th. Um, So that is covering a lot of the stuff we've spoken about today. Um, Interoception, we cover the gut, we look at the heart and heart rate variability, co-regulation. We look a lot at blended states as well. Um, And then we also have the month after that, our two-hour Vegas Nerve Masterclass as well. Um, We hang out mostly on Instagram and you can find us there um, repairing the nervous system um, and YouTube and Facebook. And I think they're the main ones. Great. And for the workshop, uh, do you run that more often? Like how, how often do you run that? Is this like a one-time thing? Oh, sure. So the six week program that we have starting now, the next one, we'll have one more later on in the year. And then for the masterclass next month, and then there'll probably be another one, two months after that. Okay, great. It's just that, I don't know if the registration would be closed. I think this episode is going to come out after it's, but maybe people can register still. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe well, maybe they can contact you and see if, yeah. if you have any openings. Well, I'm yeah. on our website anyway. It's just my name, jessicamaguire.com. Okay, great. I'll leave a link down below. Thank you for sharing and for all your knowledge and for your work. It's much appreciated. And um, I really am really inspired. I learned so much. So thank you. Thank you, Kate, for having me. And thanks for sharing all of your wonderful work with the world. And I just want to say well done on changing things for yourself and coming into a place where you've moved through that old stuff because it takes a lot of work sometimes, but um, as you probably are so aware, it has big benefits. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. Yeah. It's a journey. (laughs) 